G'day and welcome to HSVH3. I'm Dean Matthews, your host, and today we're going to be talking about what you need to be looking at when you're looking to purchase a H3 or H3T in the used market. And uh, I have Robert Jackson on with me. He has a wealth of experience when it comes to Hummers on the, both the H3 and the H3T platforms, having owned several of them, as well as being an administrator on the H3 Hummer Facebook group. I'm really looking forward to what he has to share with us today. So Let's get stuck in. I'm Rob Jackson and I've been four buying for a good long part of my life. Um, Canada, grew up on the West Coast in British Columbia and uh, started getting out in the bush hunting with my dad and fishing and camping. He was a logger, so we spent a lot of time in the bush and the mountains of, and, the, and on the ocean as well. As I grew up, I did spend a lot of time four buying and uh, when the Hummers came out, I was uh, I was pretty interested. I thought they were a pretty, pretty cool brand. Um, most part, it had a lot of Fords and Toyotas, but I was shopping around and uh, ended up seeing a nice H3T that clicked all the boxes for me. It had the V8, it had the lockers, uh, it wasn't too big of a truck for tight trails, and I thought that's that's perfect, and the price was right. And when was and, that? Uh, what sort of year were you? Looking I at? I bought that first H3T in 2014. It was a 2009. I bought it from the original owner. He was just in a bit of a jam for some money, and was letting it go for a below market value. And uh, yeah, I had to pounce on it. There was actually a couple other ones that I was going to look at first, and. Uh, kind of glad those ones uh, fell through because the one I ended up getting was was quite a nice truck. Were you eyeing them off prior to 2014? Or were they something that you sort of aspired to have? Yeah, if if if, uh, if we go back to when they first kind of started making the, the Hummers a, a civilian vehicle, the, uh, the H1 always kind of had my attention, but I always knew that that was going to be too big and impractical and heavy for what I like to do. Um, the H2 followed and again, I thought the thing was badass looking, but a little bigger and heavier than what I like for trail running. Uh, the H3 came out and and that was kind of like the just right. I was like, this this is cool. This is a nice size. I was a volunteer firefighter and our fire chief actually got one of the first ones that came out in 2006. He had a 06 with the uh, the five speed and the adventure package. So I did get a good look at that and I thought that that's a great, that's a pretty good setup. Wouldn't have been red, uh, would it? It was, of course it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so shortly after there, I started seeing the uh, the, the, the concept for the H3T. And, and again, uh, when it was the two-door concept, I, I thought that thing looked wicked. But uh, what ended up coming was the, uh, the four-door, which I still liked, a little bigger than I like, but uh, that was also around the time that H3s were getting V8s and the option for the lockers. Kind of at that time, I thought, well, if I'm ever going to get a Hummer, I want to get the pickup H3T with the V8, with the lockers. And at the time that they came out, they were about $50,000 in Canada, and that was way over my budget. I would not normally spend more than five or $10,000 on a, on a vehicle I'm going to go off-road with. So Still not bad compared to Australian standards. That, you know, We didn't get the H3T, which you know spewing about but they weren't cheap but they were competitive against other brands in the market so that they're still priced below the rest of the market so you know over here it's more big toyotas and, and big nissans are the main two that sort of hold the market for the, the mid to large size four by fours so yeah so 50 grand you know i would have rushed out to get one of those if that, if that landed here for that and you know of course 
we've spoken before and you know in Australia we didn't get the V8 you know we got 3.7 i5 so there was no V8 available for us it's just the uh, LLR i5 available so yeah 50k for the h3t dual cap pickup good value i think yeah one one thing i've always wanted to ask you dean is uh i i know in canada our models would have been coming from the american factory but down in australia where were, were they imported north american models or is there a, another factory where the australian models would have been built they came from um the uh, Port Elizabeth plant in South Africa uh, okay. over to Australia and, and I guess that they would have been concentrating on the right-hand drive models while the companies in the US were pushing out their left-hand drive. Um, yeah, so it's uh, South African. So that, that might come as a surprise to some people knowing that they not just built domestically in the United States but also offshore in, uh, in Africa. Interesting. Yeah, so, you know, from, from what I see, I, I suppose if we talk about the history of Hummer, a lot of people assume that uh, the first Hummers and the last H3s, H3Ts, were designed and built by the same place. As actually the original was AM General. And as you know, General Motors is who produced the, the Hummers. And I think they started not here, but uh, in the US, I think it was about 2005. Uh, uh, well, I think the H2s might even have gone back to 2003, I believe. Uh, well, five was when the H3s, uh, yeah, they first started coming off the factory production line in 2005 as a yeah, 2006 okay. model. They really didn't pop up on our radar here in Australia until probably 2007, I think. That's when I first, they first come to my attention and I class myself as a car guy. I've had too many cars to count and we've spoken <laughs> about that. And I guess if we go down that rabbit hole, that's a whole nother show um, on between us, how many cars we've had. <laughs> Uh, including 4x4. So um, I guess what why people are here and, and what they want to do is they're, they're maybe thinking about a H3, but they're a bit apprehensive. They don't know what to expect. And, you know, they're moving on. Some of them 2005, you know, they're 14, 15 years old vehicles. So I guess we want to talk initially to answer some of those questions that we get in the, in the forums and the groups that we're in that are geared towards H3s. Uh, maybe we answer some of those questions, but I guess first thing with buying a used car in general is there's things to look out for regardless of which car you're going to buy. And I think one of the most important things before you even start looking is, is to think about why or how you're going to use the car. What's the purpose of the car? With the H3, it might be that you're buying it because you think it might be a future collectible. So the parameters you're going to set for that search of that vehicle are going to be vastly different to if you're looking for one as a daily driver or if you might be somebody who's looking for a toy for off-road fun or a touring trip. So each of those things are going to bring a different list of what you're going to be looking for in a car. I guess your background, I believe, is a, a, a diesel mechanic. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's correct, Dean. Yeah, for uh, Caterpillar. And uh, I've worked in uh, a lot of mining. And uh, early on in my career, I had uh, experience in the automotive industry as well. and kind of bounce back to that. Uh... Yeah, my, my background when it comes to vehicles and what I know of them, it's just been a love for cars as long as I can remember from, you know, I think on my sixth birthday, seventh birthday, I remember getting given a pedal go-kart for Christmas and uh, you couldn't <laughs> get me off it. Yeah, and yeah. I think I drove my first car when I was eight years old. 
um, owned my first car when I was 13. You know, cars have been my life and, and you know, not coming from uh, a wealthy background. Uh, if you wanted your car to go, well, you better learn how to work on it. So, um, yeah, we, Amen. <laughs> that's it. So we've done uh, everything there is to do to a car. Uh, pretty much we've done it. So while I'm not uh, coming from a, a tertiary qualified background, there really is nothing I haven't touched on a vehicle. So then because of my love of cars, I went to buy a car with the parents and um, they were looking around at cars and I remember the sales guy talking to him and I said, this is your job. You know, this, this, your job is to drive nice cars, drive people around in nice cars and have a chat to people. And I thought that's the best job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to have that. And, uh, you know, I remember when I left school, first job, you know, went out and grabbed the first job I could, but then uh, scoured the newspapers for jobs in car yards and ended up working for a while. I was about 16 working for a while in the car yard selling cars and uh, I, I thought it was great you know ultimately the only reason I got out of it was because it was weekend work you know all the friends were out partying but learn a hell of a lot about cars and and from that um, worked for a guy who used to buy a car on the Monday we'd pull it pull it down strip it down completely rebuild it do the bodywork interior work engines, rebuilds, whatever the car needed, but by the next weekend it was up for sale. So, you know, learned a hell of a lot from him. And uh, from there just moved on, always playing with cars, always had a car uh, sitting in the driver and a garage being worked on, so, or modified. You know, I learned a little bit about car yards when it comes to buying cars. You know, you've got to take the emotion out of it. You've got to do your homework and you've got to understand exactly what it is you want from that car and how you're going to use it and also the future of it so is it something that you're going to resell or is it something you're going to use and abuse and and throw away and replace you know with that in mind cars in general when when we look at them a car yard looks at it very analytically and and it's probably the right way to do it with no emotion is they'll look at a car and say okay if this car was repaired, brought up to standard, so the best it can be, regardless of age, kilometers, what will it be worth sitting on the lot? So they'll take that number and let's say that was $20,000. And they'll say, okay, we need some room in that $20,000 to uh, negotiate with customers or they may want to see more for their trade-in than what it's really worth. Um, so let's put in a $2,000 buffer, say, there. So now the car's worth 18. Then they might look at the car and say, it's got about $1,000 worth of paintwork to bring it up to standard. So now that's now 17. And then they look at it and say, well, there's another, you know, thousand in mechanical. So it's now 16. And they say, we want to make $4,000 off that car when we sell it. So that brings them down to the base value of what they would be prepared to buy the car for. And that's how they value a car. That can be applied privately when you're buying any car. And the math would be slightly different because the starting point, I guess, is where you don't have the experience the car yard had as, okay, what would this car be worth if it was brought up to uh, spec? But you can find examples in the marketplace and understand that room for negotiation in them, get an average 
generally when cars are sold, a lot of the time they're brought up to the best they can be. They've had a detail and you know, they've, they've um, gone through the works to present the best they can be. You get an idea on the market in your area. And of course, uh, that's going to be different in every area. So from the mechanical side and the general side of things, Robert, what would you be looking for in a vehicle when you go out and see it? Yeah, well, actually, what, the way you describe it, Dean, is exactly what I do when I purchase a vehicle. I kind of look at what a vehicle with that kind of mileage and that make and that condition, that age on it, you know, what's the good average or high-end price of that vehicle going to be? And and I kind of say that's that's my base price. If I was going to buy one, that's that's what I would afford to pay. And then when I go look at them, I, I look at all those things that you discussed, the condition of the body, um, what kind of things are going on with the suspension, the frame, the interior, and and how much it's going to be to bring that vehicle back up to that to that original number, and uh, and and work my way down. And sometimes when I give the potential seller that list with four or five things on it that's going to bring the price down, they don't want to sell it, or they want more time to think about it. But uh, any vehicle I have bought, that's the that's the principle that I apply. At the end of the day, they say that a good negotiation is the deal where neither party is happy. And so sometimes even if I do bring it down to a point where I say, this is what it's going to cost for me to buy your car, fix it up and bring it up to this dollar level, they still don't want to come down that far. So maybe we meet somewhere a little bit in the middle, but most of the time a lot closer to my number. So again, bought one for my wife a couple weeks ago while well, she bought it. I helped her negotiate. And at the end of the deal, yeah, I'd, I'd offered the guy 2000 less he wanted me to come up 500 more and I said you know what that's that's how negotiations work and, and we made the deal uh, I think we were going to touch on the topic of what kind of things we're looking at on Hummers and H3s the age they're getting at now um, you know a lot of these problems are presenting themselves or uh, or will there there are a lot of things knowing what I've known over the few years uh, some of the ones that I would say are common things I've owned three of these now two H3Ts and one wagon all three of them have needed front diff bushings. Yeah, That's very a, common problem. Very common. And All something you've left alone uh, causes further damage, as, as I found out. So, yeah, absolutely. Did you uh, did it crack your diff housing as well when you let yours it, go? It didn't crack the diff housing, but um, definitely wore the the ring of pinion because once that rubber's gone, the aluminium cases especially flex and they cause what's called walking so that the gears walk against each other and it causes premature wear so basically i had you know oil spewing out of the diff and you know roaring sound but uh, it was a combination of that and i'd had i'd had a flat tire and the spare was the standard size tire and i had um, 35s on the car at the time so oh. I, was, I was running uh yeah two different size tires so i didn't like that as well that didn't help yeah, that works the side gears out pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really does. And quickly. People will be surprised <laughs> how quickly. So, yeah, uh, on that, I guess, lesson learned, uh, matching size spare is important. Don't don't uh, skimp out on that uh, spare tire on the back when you change your tires. You know, yeah. Make sure it's the same size because it's going to give you a, a hell of a problem if it's not. The diff bushing is, is really a, a common one. And, and I think in the used market, uh, with the kilometers on, on most of them, it, it's something that is ignored and um, something you could probably find in a high percentage of used vehicles when you're looking for it. So something really to look for specifically for Hummer when you're buying a, a used Hummer. And mm -hmm. what's your thoughts on 
your mileage versus condition. So if, if you've got a low mileage car um, and a high mileage car, are you, are you scared away from the high mileage car? I'm, you know, it, uh, it, it, it comes down to price again, you know, if the high mileage price or the high mileage vehicle is, uh, is priced accordingly, I'm going to give it more scrutiny when I look at it and I'm going to do my homework on it and, and, uh, I'm going to look at what's been changed, things like that. I mean, if it's high mileage and it hasn't had a lot of work done on it, you know, the owner's been lucky, but, but those things are going to catch up sooner or later. Um, For sure. So you want history to you'd want to see a bit of history in a high mileage car in regards to maintenance. You know, what, what yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're always going to have that concern. What the, the If the big ticket item, things like the engine and the transmission haven't been dealt with and you're that high in mileage, you just, you, you gotta be, you gotta be on your toes about it. Having said that, I mean, some of, some of the, some of the H3s that I've seen around here, more so with the alphas, because I think the 5.3 is a very reliable V8 engine. I've seen those things up over 400,000 kilometers on them, um, still running good on original drivetrain. Uh, there's a guy that lives close to me. I've done a little bit of work on his truck and he, you know, he was, he was going on long, long trips for work, driving this thing all over the Western part of Canada. And, uh, yeah, when he sold his, he was, uh, he was 450,000 kilometers on it, which, uh, that's getting up there. And I guess what people need to understand with the H3 platform is that um, it's it's not a total unknown. It's, it's not like you're looking at a you know, low volume European car that was uh, designed from the ground up. A, a lot of the components have been around for a long, long time, especially in the drivetrain side of things. So I think a lot of them are proven. Yeah, the i5 particularly is, is not just in the H3 Hummer. There's examples of that you know, right throughout the, the GM lineup. Not so much here in Australia. I'm not sure there in Canada you get a lot more US models. Maybe you could fill us in a little bit about the three motors. So the initial i5, 3.5, the 3.7 and the, and the 5.3, what they're similar to and, and a little bit more history on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, my experience with the the Atlas line of engines is what they called the uh, that that I five, uh, the four cylinders and the inline six cylinders that GM used. Um, the I five that was in the Hummers were also used in the Colorados and Canyons, and uh, their run, I believe, was uh, in the beginning with the Colorados and Canyons. I think it was around two thousand three or two thousand four when they started making those. They ran them up until when they redesigned the. Colorado and Canyon, which I think was around 2014. So they, they had about a 10 year run, you know, for GM, that, that's not a huge long run. They've some of their other engines of the V8 family, the LS is going back to small blocks have been around for, uh, you know, 50, 60 years, but uh, obviously changing along the way. It was, uh, my experience with it was that I, I didn't really feel it was a very robust engine. It was, it was, um, you know, I think, I think GM could have made a better choice in those engines. Um, having said that, they will, they do have a reasonable benchmark life, but um, things mine that are going to... Mine was just fine until I put a turbo on it. <laughs> yeah, that's another story, isn't <laughs> that, it? That sort of ends them very quickly, <laughs> let me tell you. But a whole lot of fun before the bang. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we don't yeah, have I... a, a lot of i5 engines here. And, and you know, I, 
or didn't know a whole lot about them. I know a lot about the 3.7 because it's what I had and I did a lot of work on it. But um, yeah, in other vehicles that here, we don't really see them. Um, yeah, I, I think I heard once that GM had a, a six cylinder that the i5 was derived off and they sort of lopped off a, a cylinder. The, is, that, is that correct or is it a yeah, they, build? They had a four, five and six cylinder. Six cylinder engine was used in the Trailblazer, um, the Chevy Trailblazer, which was a midsize SUV, a little bit, well, similar in size to the H3, um, a little more luxurious. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I would say more of a uh, more of a more of a road biased vehicle nice, yeah, than, yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. And there was the the GMC Envoy was the uh, uh, GMC and uh, Chevy always kind of had a little a vehicle that they they shared between the two with with differences in grill and some some cosmetics. Um, but they were using those. I you know I don't know if the six cylinder had to use the counter shaft or the counterbalance shaft that the i5 had. But m my concern from day one when I first heard that they had a five cylinder they were going to use was right away in my head i'm like well that that's an unbalanced engine that's you know things have to be done to do that or it's it's gonna affect the durability of it and and that's what was used was a, a, a counterbalance shaft yeah, in there i had the same thoughts with it and i was quite surprised yeah thinking back to when it was new just how smooth an engine it was it, for being a five cylinders and with a counterbalance shaft for sure it would be because now they've overcome that but i think what happens over year over the years is that the chains that the, now you got two sets of timing chains on the i5 and this is another thing that that personally i don't like is uh you've got the front timing chains for the dual overhead cams and you've got another set of timing chains on the back for that counterbalance shaft so by the time one set of chains is stretching and getting loose the other one's got the same amount of age and hours so really it's, it's best to do the both yeah it's, it's just really that's a, an age and maintenance thing though um yeah i mean yeah from my experience the 3.7 because i bought a second hummer while i was doing work on my hummer because i didn't want to be without one that's sort of how addicted <laughs> i am um yeah i bought a, a h3 adventurer five-speed manual 3.7 and you know coming back out of the ls i've got in mind i've got an ls2 producing 400 horsepower at the wheels it's you know uh, sitting on 37s it's it's a different drive to a standard hummer um, but going back to a, a manual 3.7, it wasn't awful. Like I, I still remember the, the lack of power that I had in, in the beginning days in certain situations. But for general use, driving around about town, yeah, I think it, it's just enough until you, know, you go larger than sort of 35 inch tyres. Um, yeah. Then I think you're going to struggle. But I guess without, if somebody is looking to buy a H3 Hummer, my opinion is uh, with the 3.7, they really shouldn't be scared off by that motor. Yes, it, it has the timing chain issue there or potential issue there, but I think overall it's fairly robust and just enough to pull that frame of the, of the Hummer around, uh, the H3 Hummer around. Um, yeah, but just just enough is the key word, and and, yeah. and I think your it sounds like your experience was was with a standard transmission. The beginning on my first time, I was it was backed by the four L sixty E, the automatic transmission, and yeah. um, I, I found that just sufficient. And and I think uh, in the manual, you know, it's a standard manual. I think they're an Asian box uh, mm -hmm. in them. In the R five. Yeah, yeah, they're both standard, but. 
3.7. I, I have no experience with the 3.5, but just looking at the spec and the drop in power and the drop in torque, yeah, when we say the 3.7 is just enough, it's like they designed the whole H3 on just enough, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, the, from the transmission to the radiator to, to the engine itself, everything seems to be just enough, you know, to, to keep it reliable. And if you maintain them, I, I believe, you know, you've got a pretty reliable vehicle and we've seen that with vehicles getting up near 15 years old. But if they let go, I think you can expect a whole host of problems that you're gonna to have to deal with. Yeah. Or if you use them in the in the fashion that you and I would, <laughs> because yeah, as well, you said, just enough. I think one more thing to add to that list is is that front differential that that seven and a half. Grenaded two of those so far in my in my time. So yeah, I, I did the one. Um, I found once I rebuilt it, and I had it done uh, by J Mac different gear here in Sydney, Australia, but he's done a lot of race differentials. So, you know, he machined the shims up and um, really fitted it well. And that thing got hammered on 35s with me and some really gnarly tracks here. Then it was on sold to uh, Jesse Martin in Western Australia and he put it under his truck with 37s and beach driving and mud ruts and hammered that thing locked in you know for, for a couple of years he's on sold that truck and that front diff is still going so i think built properly you can get around it but the alloy case hit the reason he bought my old diff from me was because he'd snapped his alloy case so uh, so the potential is definitely there and just depends how, how lucky you are. I think the, um, yeah, Hummo corrected that in 2009, I believe. Um, you got the cast iron in, uh, front in, diff case. Yeah, when they came out with the Alpha, they, they upgraded the case <laughs> to a cast iron. So um, from 08, 09 and 10, if you had an Alpha or if you had the adventure package in the i5, you got the cast iron case. So anybody out there that's listening to this right now if you got an 06 or an 07 or uh you know or, or you want to add that that front locker to the front of yours yeah search out one of those 09 might be hard end. to find <laughs> they are they're a unicorn i was lucky i i happened to find one and dropped it into my 07 and uh after i tore up that aluminum one and so i got the benefit of the cast iron housing and the locker it was uh that, that felt a little bit like winning the lottery and I, i've had a few of those moments in my hummer years but yeah that was a nice upgrade it was uh and it was a reasonable price too and it was close by so once well, in a while you get score. lucky <laughs> some, <laughs> some junkyard get... scavenging that's what it takes you know you phone around and you ask some guys and what do you got what do you got and you know the thing is there's not not enough guys out there looking for these things or at least in my area so they tend to just sit at these junkyards and there, there's just not a huge demand for them now things like mirrors and doors and and headlights and those little plastic caps on the on the hood the wreckers tell me those are the first things that go off of these things but but uh yeah to start going and trying to pick apart find a locker that's a little bit rare or the four to one transfer case or even man there was one of the wrecker down the road for me a few months ago and i knew it had the e-locker rear end in it and one day i go down there and it's sitting in the crusher pile with the diff still in and i I begged and pleaded these guys to, to pull it out of the pile and let me just pull the diff out of it. I'd give them 300 bucks and 
Yeah, they just said it's too late. It's in there, and they didn't care, and they went so out. It, so a tear rolled end down the, the <laughs> tear rolled down your cheek, and she waved goodbye to it. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. I mean, I already had one. I didn't need it, but I thought, you know, I just I know enough people out here. I'm kind of just in the early stages of of doing an axle uh, swap in mine, and I thought, well. You know, if I had that diff here, that that could be the one I'm building up and getting ready for the spring over while I leave everything else in the truck and do that. Or yeah, it would have been anyway, a, a shame to see it go. But I guess look, was. you and I could talk hummers all day, and we're gonna, <laughs> we've got a little bit to get through here. And I guess what what um, what people need to look out for. I know from our Facebook groups that we get a lot of confusion on the different models so i just wanted to quickly run through how to identify the different models we know that um, or a lot of people will be aware that there's sort of 2005 to 2010 run and you had uh, i can talk here in australia and i think the us that is similar with more options but we had basically just the h3 no h3t and they came at a base model which was a manual uh, cloth trim no sunroof and um, no chrome, so that the chrome was blacked out. And that was the base model. Then you had the off-road version, which was the Adventure. And the difference that come over the base model is that you got your rear diff lock, you got the 33-inch tires. Basically, that package was more towards a, an off-road version. The transfer case was changed to a, from a around 2.7 to 4.1 transfer case with that adventure package then you had the luxury package which was your full leather all your chrome your sunroof and you could here i don't know if it's the same around the world but i guess it would be you could buy a h3 luxury with an adventure package so that you got that uh, transfer case upgrade the larger larger diameter tires from factory then on top of that i guess you guys had some extra models so maybe you can run us through that yeah yeah and just to add um at least in the north american market um and from what i believe is is actually all of the adventure models uh in the h threes did also include the luxury package you uh, you wouldn't find um, the adventure package with a cloth interior other than on the uh, h3ts they were they were they, they were a little bit uh, the, they were the only ones where you could get the lot yeah they were the only way to the only ones that had the cloth interior and the and the lockers so i think if you look around and you and you see the diff locks you're going to find it's always got the leather seats at least in the north american market because maybe some of the ones from the south african factory did uh, have some small differences like that um some of the other models we got in north america as you touched on was the, was the alpha the, the, the alpha with the v8 yeah. and uh now i think in europe they they had a v8 model um they didn't call it the alpha but it looks very well similar in terms of the engine um but they didn't have the alpha badging they just have a v8 badge that's on them championship edition was another one in north america and um uh, it would have been similar to an alpha off-road they uh they were to signify it was after they had put the h3 i think robbie gordon was running one in the baja now i don't think he was yeah. running the stock one he had the modified yeah but i believe they did run an h3 in the uh in the stock class down there too and uh 
And so they kind of did it to signify that. Um, so they were, I believe they only came in gray, but I could be wrong on that. They had the V8, they had the lockers front and rear, red highlighted brake calipers and the cloth interior. So that was another one where you could get the adventure package, but not leather. Was that um, the one also the silver and the the bonnet is blacked out through the center? Yeah, the what's blacked out? The the oh, I guess you call it the hood. Oh. <laughs> um, the the hood's blacked out through the center of the hood. I uh, think they're gray, other than just that black vent that we all have. Okay. But that that's yeah that that one's always kind of been a special one. I like that partly because I I like going to Baja. It's a it's a nice trip to go to. I'm even though I'm in Canada, it's a good drive. So yeah, I kind of. Stop have it. a little bit of respect for that. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I go down with a friend of mine who's an Australian guy too, and yeah, so uh, I can understand how you. Anyway, back to the other models. Yeah, the H3T, the Alphas, the Adventure. There is some uh, versions called the Tactical. I think the the real dis distinguishing feature about them is they had um, they came in several colors, but they had the uh, the seven spoke wheels, which I quite like but they were blacked out uh, on those rims. So that's that's one of the ways to identify a tactical at a quick glance. I don't the, know a whole H, lot more H3 about it. Than the eight, so the H3X would have been more of the um, the street version of the Hummer. But one thing I really like about it in, as an off-roader is they had a unique, uh, a really unique grill guard on them. So instead of the round tubular grill guard, this one is more of a, a aerodynamic in form to match the contours of the grill. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, quite distinct when you see it, but... Uh, so this is the really... tactical or the... Uh... This is on the H3X. That oh, H3X, on. okay. So the H3X package would have come with 18-inch rims. Um, they've got their own unique rims. Not a fan of those ones. They, don't, they just don't look nice to me. They look like a pie. Um, <laughs> but the grill guard makes up for it. I think that looks beautiful. And uh, they got the color-matched grill as well. That's another uh, telltale of the H3X, which uh, I think that always looks really good on a truck. Um, yeah. The spare tire has a hard plastic case on the H3Xs, and they're fairly common. I see uh, I see those around uh, quite a bit. I don't believe you could get an H3X with the Adventure package, uh, but I do. There there does seem to be some H3Xs that you could get the uh, the V8 Alpha package in them too. So some of the packages can be combined, and some of them are kind of unto themselves. So great stuff. So there's there's a few to choose, but all of them depending on what you what your use is going to be for you know they're all a, a great starting point in, in my opinion anyway ultimately i'm a v8 guy i've had a lot of v8s you know so if there's a v8 option you can bet you i'm taking it or i'm making it yeah <laughs> if it's not available i'm making it <laughs> so uh, that's a great description and thank you for that right um on the different models i've certainly learned a little bit there yeah so now we know the models when you're looking at how would you identify so you're a newbie you know nothing about the h3 uh, range and um, how would you identify that it's got the off-road package the the quickest and easiest way if you're out there looking at one is is to look right at the dash above the stereo at the top where your four-wheel drive selector buttons are over on the four, far right side of that you'll have a button that uh indicates a diff lock it'll show uh, it'll kind of show a bit of a picture of a drivetrain uh, with four wheels and there'll be an x so if you've got an 06 or an 07 or an 08 adventure package it'll have the rear locker and if you're looking at a 2009 or 2010 you'll have the rear locker and the front locker which uh, that's a real nice extra feature having that front one if you can find one
Well, that's all the time we have today, but stay tuned and join us for the next episode where we delve deeper into what makes a H3 tick, what you need to look out for and what you can expect when owning one. So until then, stay safe and we'll see you in episode two.